It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. people that I find so impressive is Dr. Jonathan Young. He is all over the History Channel on great sto- uh, great shows like uh, The Unexplained with William Shatner, uh, com- regular commentator on Ancient Aliens. We, he's also a consulting producer. He's a scholar. He's the founding curator of the Joseph Campbell Archives, where he collaborated with a fellow you might have heard of named George Lucas. He is a psychologist. He is a professor. He's a terrific writer where he has uh, focused a great deal on medieval lore. His website where you can get lost. There's so many different interesting things to read. It's called folkstory.com. So thrilled to have Dr. Jonathan Young join us. Dr. Young, it's great to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Frank. So, uh, Dr. Young, obviously uh, you're a very studied psychologist how did you come to be the uh, curator of the Joseph Campbell archives? Maybe you could start with telling folks who Joseph Campbell was. All right. Joseph Campbell was the world's leading uh, comparative mythologist. He's well known at Sarah Lawrence College in uh, New, York City, New York City area. And uh, he wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces that was a bestseller a number of times and then did a public television interview series with Bill Moyers that was the biggest thing ever in public TV. So he's a well-known scholar, and that's an unusual thing. Uh, scholars don't tend to become well-known. Well, no, that's a great point. You Let me tap into your expertise as both a psychologist and a medieval myth historian. There are so many myths uh, from the ancient world all the way up to the present day that shape so much of the society. Metaphors uh, that are used, superstitions, uh, religious traditions, even the language that we use. Uh, Obviously, you have Greek mythology, Roman mythology. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about King Arthur. In your view, uh, what is it about human and the human brain that makes us crave mythology and to mythologize certain happenings or entities? These stories give us the basic outline of human experience. They are wisdom literature. They are guidebooks, roadmaps to life. That's why they survived so long. And the basic patterns of these mythic narratives show up in different cultures at different times. We have contemporary myth. That is, this vision is what structures society and structures the human mind so that we know what to do as human beings. That's why they last. One of the great lines in a piece that you wrote for Folkstory.com, I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash Morano fan, is that reading ancient tales 
is a form of time travel. Do you find that a lot of ancient myths, whether we're talking Greek, Roman, Norse, British, a lot of these stories still hold up today? They do hold up. We retell them in movies. I heard in your warm-up you were mentioning a movie called First Night with David Gere and uh, Richard Gere. Oh, First Night. That's a, it, right. a terrific retelling. And that's what we do is we retell these stories over and over. They, they were the bedtime stories at one time in our lives. They are in our media. They're in our dreams. These are the stories we are living by. The First Night is essentially a story of succession. That is, one generation coming in, another generation has to move aside. Now, that happens in every family. That happens in other great movies like The Godfather. We are dealing with the big issues of life in mythological stories, so we go back to them again and again. So often it seems like a lot of these mythological tales have a hero, whether it's a hero like uh, like Hercules or uh, some similar type of person that uh, defies all the odds, sometimes with superhuman abilities, sometimes not. Why do we seek out these hero myths. We are the heroes of our own stories. If we think about our life story as a great movie, this is our job, is to rise to the occasion, to find our own strength, our own intelligence, our own creativity, and get through the big challenges and succeed, uh, make some kind of a contribution with our life energy. We need courage. We need our own heroic impulse. So it's useful to reflect on the stories that have been left for us by those who went before. What is the difference, if any, between mythology and religion? Oh, Joseph Campbell would say that mythology is other people's religion. That is, it's, it's religion without the, the um, uh, gods, although the gods are in the story. There are also stories without any gods that are basically human beings dealing with the big challenges of life. Sometimes we get the help of the gods. There, there, there's really a very religious element to it, mm. uh, but it, that's not the crucial element in the story. All right. Um, I alluded to King Arthur. King Arthur has been depicted not only in literature and on the stage, in so many different versions. He's been depicted in dramas, children's films, and yes, even in slapstick comedy. Old woman! Man! Man, sorry. What knight lives in that castle over there? I'm 37. What? I'm 37. I'm not old. Well, I can't just call you man. You could say Dennis. I didn't know you were called Dennis. Well, you didn't bother to find out, did you? I did say sorry about the old woman, but from behind you looked... Well, I object to it. You automatically treat me like an inferior. Well, I am king. Oh, king, eh? Very nice. (laughs) That's, of course, from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The story of King Arthur is such an interesting one. He was a Celtic Briton who, according to medieval histories, was the leader of the British and uh, helped them fend off invaders, and he became king largely by pulling out the sword of Excalibur. Where did the story of King Arthur come from? Well, it is a traditional story. That is, a poor child uh, is born in mysterious circumstances. He's raised by a foster family. He has a wise mentor. We call him Merlin. He pulls a sword from a stone, which is to say 
Anybody could have pulled that sword out, but he is a selected special character. We need, we all need to see our own story as, as somehow special, that we are called to do something. We'll have a chance to rise to the occasion. That thing about the sword is very interesting because others had tried to pull that out, but they, it, was, it was not possible for them. Even the greatest strong muscle builders, you know, bodybuilders would come there with all their muscles and they couldn't get it out. He came along and pulled it out easily. That suggests that the thing we're supposed to do might come very easily to us, be very very difficult for someone else. We should not take lightly that which we can already do. The segment of uh, The Unexplained that I uh, saw you on, and you did a great job kind of framing the story, was about the, the, they called it the untold true story of King Arthur. And there's some folks that say that there might be a kernel of truth in this mythology. What does your research suggest about that possibility? There are the stories, and the stories are actually older than the historical warrior. There was a historical figure, uh, probably trained by the Britons, who did some important things at a certain time and became a king, although that was not for the entire islands of the United Kingdom. It was for a certain area. So, yeah, we do base a legend, partly fact, partly fiction. The fiction is the more important part. We, we can trace back the details of the time. But in the fiction, we get the ideals. We get the, the grand sweep of things. A lot of details are added to make him larger than life. So I'm interested in both the fact and the fiction. But, yeah, there are some actual historical details that we can trace to a warrior who is probably the source material for the King Arthur story. And obviously, I'm assuming that a warrior was not surrounded by a wizard named Merlin that aged um, in, in reverse. Backwards, yeah. What, what but, do we know about the real-life basis for that warrior? Well, uh, Ambriosus was this fellow that was trained by the uh, the Romans in, in all likelihood, and it was about the time the Romans were leaving, so there was a, a political vacuum, and somebody needed to take charge of things, or there would have been chaos. And there is also some historical background to the Merlin figure. This was a wise bard who was said to be able to do magic, probably lived in the woods, as wise figures sometimes do in these stories, and might have been an advisor to great leaders, uh, probably not to the uh, warrior that the King Arthur character is based on. These two stories were kind of spliced together. But we do have some historic or fig- uh, historical figures that are, are probably the source of the stories. Now, the idea of a wise mentor, every great leader needs guides, it, probably older figures that maybe they're even parent-like. They're not parents. Parents are not mentors. That's a slightly different role. A mentor can show you things that you need to know that seem impossible, but that's the nature of learning. It's not possible until we learn how to do it. So we all need to be a King Arthur or at least kind of a royal elegance in our own life. We need to take charge like Arthur did, and we need to find the advice we will require to pull off the task. Is it possible to pinpoint the initial author of Arthur, do we know who came up with the idea of writing down these tales of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and so forth? Well, these stories are circulating. They're in the oral tradition first, so they don't really belong to the person that writes them down. But Chrétien de Troyes is a French writer that wrote it. A lot of these stories were written on the continent before they were well-known in Britain. 
and some of them were well known in Ireland before they were, you know, over on the main island of the what is now the United Kingdom. So we do have certain historical writers that can be credited. Uh, probably the idea of a of a divine court, uh, a round table, a, a, a Camelot that is an unusually a brilliant creation in terms of government, that came along a little later in the evolution of the story. What we first of all have is good character, someone who's able to take charge, who is decisive, who has discernment. That's that's the sword. A sword can cut finely, so it, it is our ability to make good choices. Careful decisions are very important as we live our lives and make whatever contribution we're going to make. We're talking with Dr. Jonathan Young. You can check out his website, folkstory.com. There's some great stuff on there. While I have you, uh, Dr. Young, let me also ask you about the Holy Grail. Uh, obviously, the Holy Grail, if it's possible, has uh, an equal or greater place in worldwide myth than uh, than King Arthur does. Uh, this is supposedly the cup that Jesus drank from, and uh, anybody that's seen Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade knows that if you drink from it, you have eternal life or close to it, all sorts of good stuff. Um, what do we know about the reality of the Holy Grail? The Holy Grail is a symbol from before Christianity. It's, it's very feminine. It's almost womb-like. So it was sometimes depicted as a, as a bowl or a chalice. It's a cup of some kind that would hold a special liquid that provides amazing powers. So it is a symbol for the sacred, or in, in more common language, it's the meaning of life. And if we can get close to the meaning of life, of life and drink from it, then our our powers are multiplied. We're in touch with the sacred, and well, we'll live forever, or feel like we'll live forever. We all seek something. Most people want to know meaning or have a sense of fulfillment in life. So everybody is on the search for the Holy Grail in that sense. And it's in many stories before it's found in the Camelot story. And this central figure then is a way of focusing the whole idea in life of searching for something. What what do we desire? If you look at a good novel or a good movie, you need to know who the central what the central character wants. What do you want? What do you want in life? Well, we all want the Holy Grail, and it means a little something different to each person. Some people want love. Some people want action. Uh, some people want money. A lot of people want a sense of belonging, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of of, of well, realization in life. And that's, that's what that symbol's all about. If you were to go looking for the Holy Grail today, where would you start? Well, you could look for the actual grail if there was some kind of a goblet or, or chalice. Uh, they say it's in Glastonbury. There's a hill where some people think it's buried. I've been. I've looked at the hill. Um, I don't think it's in there, but there's another place up in Scotland called Rosslyn Chapel that was involved with the Knights Templars and all that. And they say it was buried. Well, in the Da Vinci Code, there was something about it being buried in the cellar. I went down to the cellar. Um, it looks like regular stone flooring to me. I, I, so people get thinking get to thinking about the grail as an actual thing that that could be located i think that's kind of missing the point it's so it's a symbol mm-hmm. it's an image that represents something and we where we can find it is in our hearts we can find it by studying what the the unusual story we find ourselves living is all about what kind of story is this person living what kind of story is calling them to some sort of purpose in life there's the holy grail you um, have you mentioned first night. We talked about uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. If you had to pick your favorite cinematic depiction of King Arthur, what would it be? 
an older movie called Excalibur that was uh, had a terrific Merlin in it and who was sort of a crazy part of the time because wisdom will drive us crazy sometimes and absolutely stunning cinematography. It was John Borman who was a wonderful filmmaker and it was focusing on the sword and the sword is a, a crucial element in the story. It comes out of a stone. Well, sometimes it's a tree, sometimes it's an anvil. It varies a little bit. It's hard to get a hold of. It's a magical, sacred thing. It is our effectiveness in life. It's our ability to win some wars, to go out there and, and take on life's battle and accomplish something. I love it. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Young, really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you'll come back soon. Uh, there's no shortage of subjects that we can discuss in the future. Great to be here. Thank, Good luck to you. Thank you. Please, we'll need it. That's uh, Dr. Jonathan Young. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.